babe. Welcome to the She Factor podcast. I'm your host, Tori Ganahl, a millennial woman on my own journey to she and co-founder of She Factor, an on and offline platform for 20-something women craving community, growth, and purpose. Through our book, app, podcast, blog, daily she newsletter, and monthly events, we're here to inspire, encourage, and equip you to create a life you love, a life that you can't wait to jump out of bed and live every single day. She Factor was born out of my own experience as a 20-something, graduating college and having absolutely no idea what came next. And after a couple years of struggling to find balance in my post-grad life, here I am, 25, and realizing that the real world is actually pretty freaking awesome. The road to success, happiness, and community are waiting for you, right here, right now. So let's walk this journey to she together, girl. Join me every week as I dish out all the tips and tricks on living your best life. Grab your favorite cocktail or Starbucks drink and settle in for real, raw, and hilarious conversations as we dive into what makes us, as women, unstoppable. What's up, ladies? Gosh, I feel like it's been so long since I've recorded a podcast, which isn't true. I have been recording podcasts, but I feel like it's been so long since I've been like solo in front of the mic. And believe it or not, I legitimately just got pumped up by myself to myself. That sounds really weird, but I just felt like I needed like a little energy boost. You guys know I love dance parties and I am in love with my podcast intro music. I don't know about you guys, maybe it's just me, but I can seriously just like vibe to it so hard. It just like makes me want to dance and get up and move my body and it just makes me happy. So I just had a little jam session myself right before I hopped on this mic. And sometimes you just got to do that. And even though listening to your own voice over it sounds really weird sometimes, you just got to do it. So that's where I'm at today. And here's what we're going to do. This is, I'm going to switch it up a little bit these days. I think I'm going to keep adding like these little beginning segments to each episode. Just like give you a little update on life, tell you how I'm feeling. Honestly, I don't even know if you guys like listening to me talk to myself, but I was actually talking to some of my podcast friends the other night. We were talking about how healing it is. For some reason, it's like we like get it all out of our system. And even though no one's talking back to us, we still feel so connected. And I do. I miss that. I feel like it's just been so long since I recorded a solo up. So here I am just for a little bit. And I have some thoughts on a couple things to share with you today. So we do have a really, really special episode for you guys today in honor of Black History Month. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to talk about where my head has been, what I've been up to. First of all, I feel like I've been like sort of absent off of social media Like I said, I haven't really recorded a podcast to myself lately. I just feel like I've been really stuck in my head. And I don't know if it's because we've literally been in quarantine for a year now, or I'm feeling like I need some alone time or like some social time. I honestly don't even know if I need alone time or social time, guys. I like, it's a, it's a catch, like catch 22. And yeah, I've just been in a really weird headspace. It also might be seasonal depression, TBH. It has been so awful here in Portland lately. And I just got back from Mexico, you know, only a month ago. And I think I got this taste of sunshine and warmth and then coming back to the pouring rain every single day. And 
the snow, which only happens here literally every three years, I swear. Everything shuts down. Like you guys know I'm from Colorado. Like snow doesn't scare me, but in Portland, like the whole world ends when it snows just a little bit. So we lost power, we lost internet. So I think that's also why I've been in a little bit of a funk is I think I got out of my routine and like the whole world was just like shooken up a little bit all around the country, not even just here. So I hope everyone is safe. I have a couple of friends in Austin who literally still can't drink their water right now because of all of the storms. So know that if that is where you're at and if you're still feeling the effects of it, I am sending you my thoughts and my prayers and my good vibes. And I wish I could take you in here in Portland. Just fly here. You can stay with me. I'm just kidding. But yeah, I just feel like I've been kind of absent. And you know, the other day I jumped on stories. Well, I didn't even jump on stories. I literally just shared a boomerang of myself because I was like, I haven't shown my face on stories in so long. And the thing is, I actually really do enjoy now. It's just so funny. You guys would have known me a year ago on social media, which actually most of you do because you've been listening to the podcast that long. Like I was terrified of showing my face on stories, which is so funny because I get in front of the mic and I'm fine. But the second I had to like show my face on social media, it was like, I can't do it. And it's really funny because I'm sure that there's plenty of high school and college people who still follow me that think it's comical that I show my face on stories all the time. I'm like talking to no one. I'm acting like I'm an influencer. But the reality is, is like, I don't think that at all because the connections that I've made on this platform are real and authentic. And I'm better friends with those people than I am with some of the people that I see in my life. So heck yeah, I'm going to share my face. Heck yeah, I'm going to share about my life because there are people on the platform that care. I have truly met my best friends and just so many amazing people on social media in the last year. And I'm so grateful for that. Like this platform can be really, really powerful. And yes, Instagram can be also very exhausting, which is partially why I haven't been on it lately. But only when your feed is filled with people and brands and things that don't inspire you. I know I talk about this all the freaking time on the podcast, but I honestly think that also had a piece to do with it. Like these last couple of weeks, I have just felt so burnt out on social media in general, like reels and Instagram and clubhouse and TikTok and all the freaking things. And man, it gets exhausting. And I was really in this clubhouse kick for a good amount of time. and. To be honest with you guys, like it was just so draining because if you're not in the right spaces, if you're not surrounding yourself with the right people in that platform, it becomes a, I don't even know what to call it. It's just like everyone wants to talk about themselves and pitch themselves and talk about their problems. And it feels a little bit draining. And I have had a couple of rooms where I've moderated with other people or I've jumped into them and they have been really powerful, but it's kind of a black hole. Like you don't really know what the conversation is going to be until you start it. And then, like I said, I was down this like black hole of Instagram reels, which honestly, my feed was just so overwhelming with Instagram coaches and influencers telling me how to run my business and how to beat the algorithm. And like, I don't freaking care about any of that. And I burnt out hard. So anyways, it was exhausting and as far from inspiring as you can get pretty much. But I just wanted to, I don't know, I felt inclined to share that with you guys and just let you know that breaks are necessary. Resets are necessary. If you are feeling called to just rest and recover and unplug, then freaking do it. And actually, there's this group that I've been 
engaging with on Zoom. It's just a bunch of girls who podcast. We were talking the other day just how drained we all were, like creatively drained, and how we kind of felt like that we were all in this funk. And one of them brought up this thing called a thinking day. And I'm really excited to try this. I'm actually going to try it this afternoon after I'm done recording this. And it's basically unplugging completely. So I can't do a full day yet because that just seems a little overwhelming for me. But you turn off all the electronics. You don't even watch TV, no Netflix. You turn off your phone. You literally just sit with your thoughts. Literally a thinking day. And you can journal, you can meditate, you can read. But even reading, like you're actually not even supposed to read because that's still generating thoughts. But I'm going to go ahead and read a fiction book because I think that's okay. But I do get really overwhelmed by self-help books. So I'm going to give that a shot today. I'll give you an update next week on how that goes. But thinking days, guys, think about it. No pun intended. And I think it can be really powerful. So I'll give you the give you the lowdown. So that's my two cents today. And then as we jump into this episode for Black History Month, I just wanted to share my thoughts. You know, this year has been really, really tough for the Black community. And it's brought a lot of attention to the bias that a lot of us have and the racism that is deeply rooted in our culture and our society that I think a lot of us didn't even realize. And that's the disappointing thing. That's the sad thing is that we didn't see that. So I think this Black History Month is, is, is very special in the sense of celebrating. Like we need to celebrate how far we've come, even if there's still so much work to do. And we need to celebrate the, the people in history who have made change. And I want to especially say that this month I am choosing to really deeply honor the women that weren't really recognized for the work that they did, who have made a difference in helping shape this country and its values and who were really a pivotal piece of history, but never get talked about. So as Black History Month comes to a close, I have really been spending my time researching these women that were a part of history who have made our world what it is today, but have not received the recognition that they deserved. And they not only had that impact on history, but I think the important part that we recognize in ourselves and in the work that we do in our everyday lives is not if we make this huge impact on the world, but the individuals that we make an impact on. And so many of these women what they cared about was paving the way for black women and girls across the country to just dream big and act courageously. And if that started with one little girl, that is where that activism starts. So I'm going to link a couple of the articles that I found in the show notes today. And I encourage you guys to go read about these incredible women. I mean, their stories are just so powerful. And even though I, I know that I won't ever experience what they went through, it's been really eye-opening and empowering to just see how they stood up, see how they made change, all the different ways that they made change and all the different ways that they made impact on the country and the world. So go check out those links in the show notes. And today you're going to hear from five incredible women. And I'm actually not part of this conversation at all, but I think that's the power in it is that it's coming from people who have experienced racism firsthand and who are making a change firsthand. And I wanted to give them that space to have that conversation without me. So let me just tell you a little bit about these freaking amazing women, guys. So Sierra Kaler-Jones is the moderator of this conversation, and she is a social justice educator, writer, scholar, and coach. She's based out of Washington, D.C. 
And she was actually the second woman of color to ever secure the title of Miss New Jersey. And then she went on to create multiple initiatives to support not only women of color, but students of color in the education space. She created the Speaker Truth series, which has given hundreds of college students a space to discuss social justice issues rooted in storytelling based off their own experiences. And then she is also the founder and lead storyteller of Unlock Your Story, which aims to highlight and amplify the stories of women of color that are often erased, distorted, or overshadowed. So she was actually my inspiration behind going and seeking out information and stories about women that may not have been recognized in the history books for the work that they did. So thank you, Sierra, for that. And then we have Krista Clark, and she is a badass guy. She is the Black female founder of Cubicles to Cocktails, which is a community of young professional women of color. And part of the reason she started Cubicles to Cocktails is that more than 50% of Black women are, quote unquote, the only at work. And also, Black women are three times more likely than their peers to aspire to top leadership roles at work, yet only 58 Black women are promoted for every 100 entry-level men promoted to manager. Those stats are jaw-dropping. So she's doing incredible work to try and change this, especially in the corporate workspaces, by just bringing a unique perspective of ways that corporations, leadership, and individual employees can really be anti-racist at work. Next, we have Stephanie Morimoto. She is the owner and CEO of Sutra, and she has actually built a team that is women-owned, including her partner, Venus Williams, which is so cool, and women-led, and 77% of their team are people of color. She's also served in several roles in various nonprofits that were dedicated to social enterprises, to support women, especially low-income women of color. So she is just an incredible woman who's built a brand that is so amazing. And she definitely has some words of wisdom in this conversation that we have. And then we have Peggy of Flattery. And you guys, if you've been around Chief Factor for a while, probably know Peggy or Mavely. And she actually spoke at our very first virtual event last March. And she is not a woman of color. And she actually launched Mavely to disrupt the traditional practices of the industry. So Mavely has done extraordinary work in highlighting female-founded, diverse, sustainable brands and their partnerships, and is also empowering the next generation of the workforce with a really extensive, credible internship education program. It is like top-notch. I've never seen anything like it. And then last, but certainly not least, Cheryl Sutherland. You guys probably know who she is if you listen to the podcast. She was on right around the She Cares time, and she had a whole episode on gratitude. If you haven't listened to it, she's a hoot. You need to go give it a listen. And she is a transformational speaker, business strategist, and founder of Please Notes. And that is a for-purpose company of affirmation-filled products. And she's just doing a lot of amazing work for women of color and in the diversity inclusion space by having really intentional conversations about racism, whether it be with the press or with people through her company or people through her speaking career, her business strategy career. So, so she's making an impact a little bit less publicly, but more intentionally in her conversations and relationships, but she definitely has some wisdom to share tonight as well. So, so I hope you guys enjoy this truly impactful conversation. Like I remember being there the night that we recorded it and I was in tears after the conversation of just these women's stories and what they've been through and how inspiring they are and the change that they want to make in the world is just freaking awesome. So I'm really excited to share this with you guys. Happy Black History Month. Go celebrate by reading those articles I linked in the show notes. There's so many women out there who are doing 
incredibly impactful work that don't get recognized. So if you're one of those women, know that you have a space here at Chief Factor. If you want to share your story and share your experiences, please reach out. And I would love to feature you talking about your experience with racism on the podcast. I want to open up that space to anyone who feels inclined. And of course, also, and just know that Chief Factor is here for you as a community to come in and hopefully feel welcomed and accepted and feel that sense of belonging. So I'm going to go ahead and let you guys finally listen to this panel. Wow. Every time I get in front of the mic when I have it in a while, I feel like I just end up having so much to say, even when I don't think I have anything to say. Um, But I want you guys to share your thoughts and your feelings and your reactions to this panel, to maybe reading about those women with me. So DM me, send me an email, reach out to me. However it is through the podcast, you can send me a voicemail. So I would love to just hear what's going on in your heart after hearing this conversation and doing some of the education work behind behind Black History Month. All right, enjoy. Hi, my name is Krista Clark and I'm the founder of Cubicles to Cocktails, a career development platform and a community for working women of color. I'm so honored today because She Factor has chosen Cubicles to Cocktails as a sponsor for this panel to continue the work that we discuss in regards to empowering young women of color. A $500 honorarium will be given from the She Cares Foundation to my organization to support the work I'm doing for women of color in the workplace. Some of the specific initiatives and programs that this funding will include developing our digital career resource hub that will provide culturally relevant, actionable career resources for black and brown women, in addition to launching our mentorship program for young women of color exiting college and entering the workforce that they could be paired with a mentor and plugged into a peer community of women like them for added support in navigating their careers with confidence and support. Cubicles to Cocktails is on a mission to advance 100,000 women of color into leadership at work. And we're so excited for She Factor's support and contribution to helping us achieve this mission. Thank you, ladies. Welcome to everyone here for a panel discussion on social justice, anti-racism in the workplace, and centering diversity and inclusion efforts to ensure more equitable workplaces. My name is Sierra Kaler-Jones, she, her, and I'm a social justice educator, writer, business owner, and scholar based in Washington, D.C. I'm also a PhD candidate studying social justice education. This conversation continues to be crucial as racism and injustice are still pervasive in every corner of this country and this world. The fight to end systemic racism is not new and is certainly not new in the workplace. A report from Lean In and McKinsey found that women of color make up just 4% of corporate C-suite roles. We see that even though women of color aspire and work towards top leadership roles, they are often passed up for promotions. Conscious and unconscious bias leads to racially marginalized groups being passed up for hiring, promotions, and pay raises. Additionally, a survey conducted by Glassdoor found that 43% of employees in the United States have seen or experienced racism at work. It is not just hiring and pay where there are challenges, but many workplaces make it uncomfortable for women of color to be in the space and push them out. Being an anti-racist organization is not a checklist or an identity, but rather an ongoing commitment to dismantling harmful power structures that perpetuate racism, sexism, homophobia, and all forms of oppression. 
In order to do this, we need allies, or rather what Dr. Brittany Cooper calls co-conspirators. We need one another to continue to fight the good fight and truly achieve the world that we all deserve, one rooted in equity, justice, joy, and love. We come together today for an opportunity to hear directly from trailblazers and change makers who will illuminate the possibilities and potential for workplaces to become more inclusive and equitable, as well as share their expertise and their experience to provide strategy and inspiration for sustaining social change. I am so honored for the opportunity to be in conversation today with Krista Clark, Stephanie Morimoto, Cheryl Sutherland, and Peggy O'Flattery. And so to begin, I would love to invite each of you to share your story with us. How did you come to your work? Cheryl, I'll turn it over to you first. I don't know how to how to follow that. Thank you so much for that gorgeous intro. And there's just so many points that I feel like we have the opportunity to step into and, and excel and create so much magic from. So my name is Cheryl Sutherland. Hi, I am the founder of Please Notes Goods. And it's this amazing personal development line really created to help you become your favorite version of you. And I think for myself, of course, being a Black woman, like talking about racism and having conversations is not something that's new. However, I feel like that's something that's new to me in the context of who we're sharing this with. Before, I would only talk about my experience of Black women to other Black women and the uncomfortableness that has shown up as a result of having these conversations with people that, you know, would normally discount it or we've been socialized to, to feel like I'm making them feel awkward or, or I'm causing too much trouble is something that I've never had the opportunity to do before. However, I choose to move into it wholeheartedly because I also understand that personal growth is nothing without going within and confronting one's personal biases, confronting one's own thought processes about the way that they see the world and changing the ones that are incorrect to be ones that support themselves and all of society. So with that, I mean, it's been amazing delving into that and creating different resources to support other people in their anti-racism and unlearning and delving in with both feet. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I'd now like to turn it over to Stephanie. Thank you. I just have to echo what Cheryl said. Thank you for the beautiful introduction and for facilitating this really important dialogue. I am thrilled to be here as a co-conspirator, as you called it. Um, So I'm Stephanie Morimoto. I'm the owner and CEO of Asutra. Our mission is what we call active self-care. So we make and sell over 50 organic and natural products to help you take care of yourself on purpose so you can take on anything, which is obviously very much needed in this time and this year. And so we're really excited to support lots of different people, primarily women, to do that. And coming to this work, for a sutra specifically, I've always been a real fan of wellness. As a woman of color, I feel really lucky, honestly, that I've gotten to work in a lot of different environments, only one of which has actually been run by mostly straight white men. So most of the organizations that I've worked in over time, whether it was education, consulting, helping women of color start small businesses have been run by Black women, Black men. A lot of the leadership has been very diverse, whether it's gender, race, sexuality. And that has really helped me learn a lot. And I think that's a big part, right, of being a co-conspirator and an anti-racist is educating yourself and taking action. So I'm just really excited to continue learning from everybody on the panel tonight and hopefully sharing some good thoughts with folks that are listening. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I will now pass it over to Krista. 
Thank you, Sierra. So for me, like my journey has always been a lived experience. I was raised to be very proud and to celebrate my Blackness. I was raised to value extremely community and supporting community, whether or not that's your family or the surrounding neighborhood. Moving into college at Rice University, I know I've had a, a very diverse mixed set of friends. And like I even like earned the nickname amongst my classmates or particularly the Black community at Rice S. Little Malcolm. (laughs) So for me, like this has been something I've always been, always have been courageous in conversations, pointing out ways that we could do better and entering the workforce. That's entering the workforce. I, as a project manager, particularly, I've always been in rooms and in leadership positions where I am often the only woman of color in power. And For me, that was a very, very challenging type of situation for me to learn a a new type of of culture, what we know as corporate culture, which is really white male culture. And that inspired me leaving work and grabbing cocktails with my mentor or um, my best friends to not only vent, but to also action plan and help me navigate the workplace, as well as to celebrate one another because oftentimes women of color are not celebrated in the workplace, we're invisible. And so that environment that I curated for myself at the work was something that I wanted to expand out to the greater community. And that's what inspired Cubicles to Cocktails. So not only is it like just something in my personal lived experience, but now it is part of the efforts that I do outside of my day job is to be a champion for diversity, equity, and inclusion through the celebration of women of color who are in the workforce. Thank you so much, Krista. Now I'd like to turn it over to Peggy. Well, thank you, ladies. It's super exciting to be a part of the She Here and this panel and just the breadth of knowledge that's here. Again, Peggy O'Flaherty, I am a mom of five. I always start with that. But I'm also a co-founder of a company called Mavely. And Mavely is a shopping platform. And it's primarily focused on female-founded brands and sustainable and clean and good brands that make a difference in women's lives and families. And so I have really made a conscious effort of promoting Black women, brown women, all kinds of women so that they can build their businesses and we can distribute their products to a nation of women. That's been my primary focus is helping female business owners. Thank you so much, Peggy. And I'm hearing so many connections and so much synergy in this work, right, of creating space for people to really thrive, right? Because in a lot of workplaces that are, are not comfortable spaces for women of color, how important it is to carve out that space where they're not able to just survive but to really thrive and to be well and lean into wellness in those spaces. And so this is going to be a conversation. I'll ask some questions if you all to really just ground us in this topic and to continue to synergize and continue to strategize amongst ourselves. And so to ground ourselves really in this conversation, I would love to invite each of you to share your definition of anti-racism. What is it and what is it not? Of course, this is a term that is being used quite often now. It's not a new term. And so what does it mean to you? What is anti-racism? It's funny because I was actually thinking about this the other day, and it's kind of along the lines of being an excuse this analogy, if it's a little bit graphic, however, like anti-rapist, right? Some people will see somebody that's being attacked on the street, and it's not enough to just say, like, I don't condone rapists. It's you have to be anti-rapist and then actually step in and stop what's actually going on right now. Now, of course, we all know the outcome of that, where somebody is saved, like that there's a whole bunch of issues that are actually not going to happen. But 
this traumatizing event is actually stopped in its tracks. And I think we need more people that are willing to step up and stop people in the tracks of racism, whether it be small slights, microaggressions, or overt racism that keeps showing up, especially in the workplace and in just our day-to-day lives. To me, I like just to add and expound upon that, for me, it's as simple as growing past just not being racist. And the emphasis to me is on growing because you don't, through the work of anti-racism, you don't ever get to the point where you arrive. It's a lifelong journey of not only um, self-healing and also self-exploration, but also bonding to another community, acting on behalf of another community, checking privilege, and moving forward to the to the point where you're reaching out, not just doing the self-work, but you're infecting everybody else to go ahead and do the work to move us forward as as a nation or and even reaching beyond to the the global community because racism is not just a American issue. So to me that's like what being anti-racism is is uh, anti-racist is growing past being okay with just not being racist is moving into action and lifelong learning. I would echo that. And I think it's easy to say it's not who I am, but it is what I do. And it's what I do as it relates to ideas, behaviors, and policies as a female in business, but also as a mother, because I feel like if my children see me in action and they partner with me, hopefully they can continue this movement of changing this world. I agree with everything that folks have said. I think Krista in particular, you know, two things really stood out to me, action and it's a lifelong education. And as a woman who owns her own business and who has had the honor of hiring a lot of people over the years in different organizations, I think the other thing is just using the power and privilege that I have to lift up other women in particular, which is my passion, to help amplify their voices and their talents. So much powerful knowledge that you all are sharing in this moment. And I think about, when I think about anti-racism, a conversation that I've been a part of recently is when we talk about anti, we usually talk about something that we're against, right? But then what are we for? We're for, as you all have shared, like we're for empowerment, we're for healing, we're for moving forward together and mobilizing for justice, for love, for joy, for liberation, and for freedom. And so I, I appreciate how you all have talked about the importance of the continuation of this work, ongoing commitment, and really that it is a commitment, as you all have illuminated, that every single day we have to make the choices in order to be anti-racist and uphold anti-racist ideologies and values. And so what does anti-racism look like in your workplace? What are the practices and the policies? What diversity and inclusion efforts are you currently leading or have you led? You know, when we have, we have over 300 female founded brands that are trying to get on platform. I'd like to take this opportunity to try to figure out which women need their voice to be heard. And so as we've been going through this selection process, there's an awful lot of amazing brands out there, but I feel like it's my opportunity to help people's story be told. And a lot of times when I'm interviewing women and the their brand story, that story, if we can share that story across our sh- social media, if we can share it in Instagram live interviews, if we can share it across our newsletter, if we push it out to the 20,000 women in our platform, sharing those brand stories has done so much to help build 
their business that maybe they wouldn't have had somebody reaching out and helping them otherwise. So that's been one small way. The other thing is that I've been really intrigued by, in general, women have a hard time raising funds when they're starting a business, starting a company. It's very hard for women to get in front of a good VC and a venture capitalist and and raise money, but it's even harder for women of color. And so I've tried my best when I see a woman who is building her business and she's trying to go to another capital raise to get them in front of and connected to good VCs who want to invest in their business. So that's been my little teeny niche of the world that I've tried to make an impact and I've tried to be very intentional about doing that. So as I mentioned, I'm a project manager during the day. Cubicles to Cocktails is my business that I'm building outside of the workplace. But I would like to particularly shed light on the fact that medical school and in the and when we think about just currently, you know, timeliness of the pandemic and what's happening with the pandemic and the country's social reckoning, we're moving to a space where we're also starting to elucidate more um, the racism that is embedded within our within our healthcare system. And this has been extremely, extremely critical. This conversation is extremely critical for medical schools at the time. I'm leading a, a curriculum transformation project. And Throughout this project, what we're doing, particularly as an institution, is not only looking at our recruitment pipeline and the support systems that we have in place for Black and Brown students at our institution, but we're looking to more explicit the anti-racism curriculum that we have in regards to maternal and child health disparities. When we look at environmental racism and its impacts on health, such as communities of color, particularly living in toxic environments that are, are, are toxic because they may have been waste dumps or they still are waste dumps in their communities. And that's exacerbate, exacerbating the rates of asthma in these communities. And, and I'm going to wrap up soon, but even like the fact that medical students, you would be surprised how many medical students actually believe that Black people, for instance, don't feel as much pain. And that's a big thing and pain being undertreated. So uh, for me, my daily in my in my workplace right now with my project that is an effort that I'm helping to push forward in our curriculum and then cubicles to cocktails as I mentioned earlier that's like that's my work of curating the space and creating the visibility so that people could see that women of color are not only ambitious but we're high achieving we're intelligent and we're worthy to be celebrated and promoted and paid. I'm happy to share a few thoughts. I'd say two main things. One, for me, both at a sutra, but also in past organizations, people management, right, is key. So both hiring and providing opportunities for learning, growth, promotion, pay to very diverse groups of folks. So at a sutra, we're a small and mighty team, but we're over 70% folks who identify as people of color, mostly Black and Latinx. And in prior organizations where I've had to hire a lot of people or where my employees were managers hiring people, we always held to, you have to build the most diverse candidate pool possible before you can make a hire. And I personally held all of my managers accountable to that and making sure that as people progressed in their careers over time, we were either addressing pre-existing gaps between entry-level management and executive leadership, or preventing them in the first place. So I think those are our key points. At a sutra where we make 
wellness products. I think a lot of what we focus on in the mission of our work day to day is providing really good, clean ingredients and formulations that help you feel better and take care of yourself well at accessible prices. We're really focused on managing our costs so that we can pass along savings to our customers and making good stuff accessible to as many people as possible. I love what everybody had to say. And it's interesting for me because I'm actually a solopreneur. So like, this is me, my laptop and my lovely sweater usually. And it's a, it's ever so slightly different as well because I'm actually Canadian. So I live in between Canada and the US and it's given me the opportunity to see what things look like on both sides. Now, one thing that I will say is that most of the, the information that we do have around racism, diversity, inclusion, and like, of course, the disparity that we have are mostly US-based. So when it really comes to sharing the experiences that we've had or what is actually going on, there's not as much technical stuff. There's not as much research that has been done. So one of the things that I've also noticed is that a lot of the people that identify as people of color, there's a different set of information sources for us. So for me, it's very like I've always known or I've known for a very long time, like it's common knowledge that, you know, the way that people are treated in the healthcare situation and healthcare industry is different if you're a person of color versus being lighter skinned or passing. It's also very different if you are going to talk to a police officer and how your feelings are and the sentiment and like the level of service that you expect is different. So for me, it's been really great to have the experience of highlighting these things. So not only share things that I already know are common knowledge and I already, I feel very cognizant of these are issues that I need to bring awareness of because as of late, I've had this amazing influx of new followers who do not identify as black. And so for me to be able to share things from a non, like a very even keel space of being like, this is what it is. There's no energy around it. And here's the information and do with it what you will. I think that's been really, really important. In addition, I actually created this whole amazing anti-racism and unlearning resource library that's available on my Instagram. Now, this was for the reason of when people freaking out and they're like, I need to figure out how to support these people or I didn't know that this is happening. What can I do? They have the opportunity to look at this and have it as a resource, whether it be podcasts or trainings or books to read where they can go instead of talking to their darker skins, friends and families and saying, what is it that I need? What can I do? What are the next steps? So you have the resources to go ahead and make these changes within yourself. And I mean, lastly, of course, I just actually launched this new inclusion notebook, which is really created to help you take a look at your perspectives, take a look at your privileges and really allow yourself to step into the lives of other people that may have different access to things that you do, especially when it comes to the workplace. Like the way that different minorities are perceived is much different than the stereotypical or the, the archetype of the successful person that's in a C-suite position, right? So taking a look at all these different things and allowing people to come to their own answers, I think is very key. I'm going to give you the information and you're going to take the time to absorb it and then make the change from within versus me telling you what you need to do. Oh, these answers are are so good. And I, I hear this theme coming up of this duality of both taking space and making space, right? So in a society that oftentimes tells women to be small and not take up space, as we've heard from many of you about pay and, and promotion and, and being able to, even in front of venture capitalists, to be able to, to pitch the work, right? So 
as co-conspirators, but also as, as women of color, making the space to highlight people in newsletters, to sharing their brand stories, for creating opportunities for mentorship, connection, networking, diversifying the candidate pool and the hiring process, but also the idea too of taking space, of the visibility that Krista had talked about and making sure that Black women know that they are worthy of being celebrated making products accessible, and then the bringing awareness and knowledge piece, the resource sharing piece of creating that space for other people to better understand and better to unpack some of their own experiences and how they show up to this work. And so what changes must be made in workplaces overall to center anti-racism and social justice? What can places, what can organizations and businesses be doing better? I'm a huge data person. <laughs> And I know that we, and so I'm, I'm, I'm prefacing my comments with that. When you notice the companies releasing the diversity numbers recently, that's great. Like we, sh- we need more transparency, but how are we presenting those numbers? Are we presenting that in a way to make it seem that we're doing better, that we've had progress in the workplace? Are we treating groups of, of marginalized communities as a monolith? Are we lumping people together in a way that doesn't truly speak to their workplace experience? So I agree that, you know, we need to start with diversity. I believe strongly in having a critical mass within a diverse workplace, a critical mass of marginalized people. But how are we moving us up? How are we, how are we promoting them through the, the workplace cycle of leadership, the pathway to leadership? One of the things that I found in my research for Cubicles to Cocktails is that research is showing that we're three times more likely to aspire to positions of influence in, in leadership roles. For every 100 men promoted from entry level to manager, only 58 Black women and only 68 Latinas are promoted in that same way. And so we focus often on breaking the glass ceiling when it comes to diversity efforts. But if we can't even fix what they're now identifying, particularly for women, identifying as the broken run, if we're not paying attention to that link, then we can have all the numbers in the workplace that we want. But what, how, how are we truly transforming the culture? How are we transforming who is considered having executive presence or executive leader? How are, we tra- how are we making these transformations? We can't. So it's more than just the numbers. We have to be honest in our data and we need to be honest with our plan to move those numbers forward. I totally agree. I think data is critical and I think accountability going along with that data is critical. There is a study published recently by an economist who found that the cost of racial bias in our economy is $16 trillion. $16 trillion. And I think all of us on this call probably understand how businesses and organizations are just better and more effective if we have diverse teams and diverse customers. But we have to keep making that case, I think, to the majority of companies who are maybe not run by people who have our our mindset and our experiences. So I think continuing to make that case is critical. I think you know, as we've been talking about getting more women, getting more people of color, getting more LGBTQ people into positions of leadership is important. And until that happens, having executive roles, whether it's a chief diversity officer or another position that can really hold leadership accountable in 
especially larger companies where sometimes these things can get lost, unfortunately, to report on that data and hold their management and their departments accountable for building much more diverse teams. I think I'll just uh, share a really quick story. When I was 27 years old, I managed a pretty large call center in the city of Chicago. And it, and I had hired everybody on the team, all managers, all the supervisors, and it was a beautiful, diverse team. And, and I loved what I was doing. I probably was super cocky for 26 years old or 27 years old at the time. But I had a, a supervisor on my team that I ended up giving a review to. It did not go well. And she ended up taking me to HR and then eventually to mediation. And she said I was racist. At the time, being super young and I was like extremely certain that I was right, I I stopped listening to her. This has bothered me for 25 years. I mean, at 50 years old, I can look back now and say, one, I didn't take responsibility to really listen to what she was saying to me. And although I, I don't think at the time and I don't think now that I am racist by any means, I wouldn't be on this panel. But obviously at some point, I wasn't listening to her side of it. And so now as a business owner, I really coach my team and my co-founders on the idea that one, the responsibility relies on us as a company to do it better, but we need to train our managers on how to be compassionate listeners and open-minded. Because I think that you could have a team of 150 people and all if you offend one person, but not really listening to their story and maybe the bias, she maybe she had some bias against me. I don't know, but I know that it was ultimately, it was my responsibility to be a better, a better manager for her so that she never felt she had to take me to mediation to get her voice heard. And so that's the only thing that I feel I can do right now is then train the people on my own team that I have influence over, give them the types of training that they need to be able to be, to build people up. And so that was by, from my experience, I've I was lacking in self-awareness and self-reflection, but I feel like it took a long time for me to finally learn those lessons. I love that. And I think that there's so many amazing opportunities, especially being in North America. I mean, capitalism has been our main driver. So what if we took a turn on that? What if we were to change our KPIs within a company? And instead of it being finances, it could be, of course, employee wellness. It could be, what are we putting back into the world? Like, how are we supporting not only the people that are actually actually working in the actual building itself, the people that are touching our products, experiencing our products, how are we supporting it in a holistic way? I also really like the opportunity to take a look at it as if, I'm not too sure if everybody's familiar with B Corps, where they have very, very high standards in order to be qualified or certified as a B Corporation. What if we did the same thing when it came to diversity, inclusion, and equity, making sure that there are things in place where if somebody does feel like um, there's something that's incorrect, they have a way to actually communicate it to somebody in a very safe way that they understand that there's actually going to be actionable steps. And in addition to like, there is actually potential to grow in a company that I'm not going to be sitting here and continually passed on for promotions because these people are very clear about who they are and what they stand for and what their values are and making it one of the hot places to work for. Just like how back in the day you used to, oh yeah, well, they free lunches and beanbags all the time. Like how about diversity inclusion and making sure that you are being anti-racist is being one of the top things on your banner. People will gravitate to it. Actually, the people that matter will gravitate to it. And that's the people that are the next generation, the change makers, the people that are going to be out there voting and making sure that the next generations that the world, our economy is taking care of. Because if not now, then when? Oh, yes. And I'm, I'm hearing this theme come up and answering this question about transformation. So the transformation of both self 
but transformation of something so much larger than us, right? And I think about one of my favorite quotes is, when something transforms, it can never go back to the way that it was. And so together, like the possibility about dreaming a little bit bigger about what currently exists and how can it transform to actually be something that's equitable, something that is inclusive, something that makes people feel like they belong and that they're loved and that they're valued and affirmed in that space. And right now we, we know that in this nation and in, in this society that we live in, that that's not the case, but how, how wonderful it is that we have the power and that we're having these conversations to be able to change that and work towards transformation. And so my next question is, what challenges or roadblocks have you faced in centering social justice and diversity and inclusion work in the workplace? And how did you navigate some of those challenges? Okay, mine is super easy. Since it's only me in my workplace, I have this amazing rule about who I like to work with. And if it doesn't feel like it's in alignment, if I feel that you're being performative, if I feel like you are don't have my best interests or the interests of people that look like me in, uh, in mind, then it's easy for me to be like, ah, this really doesn't feel like it's a fit. I'm like maybe we'll circle back around and see what that looks like. However, I feel like there's also the opportunity for myself, like when it came to sharing some of these tools for anti-racism, for me, it was very much, I want to say it's scary, just like how I shared before. This is the first time that for myself, being able to share openly that this is a problem and we need to change this is very scary. You know, like, am am I going to lose followers? Are people going to boycott my products? Like, is my website going to get hacked? Do I need to update my like DDSN or like, I don't know what those things are. So those have definitely been the things that have ran through my mind, especially since this is my main source of income. Am I going to lose opportunities for being the every Black woman? I think that's the thing that people don't really think about when it comes to this work. Like It's not like people generally like to share that they're uncomfortable with something because of their race. And it's it's not fun to do. So understanding that if somebody is coming at you with that, that there's definitely some levels on there and definitely some things to consider as well. So again, for me, it would have to be like, is my business going to sail or is it going to sink as a result of me standing up for myself? And then again, just choosing into only working with people that have my best interest and the interests of people that may or may not look like me. All, all of my my friends in the LGBTQA society, are they actually rallying for them or are they just pretending or do they not care and I just, they just want their money? Uh, for me, I'll share a couple things. I think one, as an Asian American woman, I've definitely experienced some of the stereotypical views of like, oh, I'm, I should be quiet or I'm not a leader or all of those things being talked over. People saying kind of odd things in business settings that don't understand the sort of the cultural ramifications of what they're saying. And I think for me, just building the confidence over time to call that out and say, hey, look, talking to me right now and saying open the kimono is not like that's just not an appropriate thing to say in this meeting. There's so many other ways to express what you mean to say, or we need to address the bias that we're seeing. And I think that's the larger point is the stuff that I've seen work kind of goes back to what Peggy was saying is really training people. Well, one, hiring people who align with your values and being explicit about what those values are. Two, training people continuously. We talked at the beginning of the call about 
always educating yourself. And I think also providing opportunities for your staff or your team to learn about their own biases, to learn how to really understand other people's points of view, how to really listen and how to behave in a way that is very inclusive and creates the right culture. And that's the last thing I would say is that also going back to what we were saying earlier in the call, not only is education ongoing, building culture is ongoing. And that is constant practice that you really have to tend to, whether it is calling people out if they're saying or doing things that aren't making, that are making other people feel uncomfortable or that are not appropriate, but also reinforcing the things that you want to see in your culture and how people treat each other. Stephanie, that was great. I I wanted to add on to that because there's two parts of it for me. There's one was what's happening at work and then what's happening in my community. And at work, you know, we had a conversation at one point about white privilege and I couldn't believe how many people, there was like 15 different topics, how many people in our company and in the different workspace that I was in didn't identify the fact that they're privileged. And so part of just a dialogue of saying, you're telling me you've never done any of these bad behaviors. And then when people really sat back and they were honest, they they were doing those. And so they started to identify there is an element of white privilege and they had to own that. And then they can change that, right? So if they at least acknowledge it. But on a community level, we have had a, a black man from our community do these little town hall meetings where he's been sharing. I mean, I, I, I know this seems really rudimentary, but it has been such a change agent of explaining to white people all of these ridiculous things that we've never really never been taught at school. I mean, you know, if you look at grade schools, they basically talk about four black people that have made an impact on the world. What about all the other? I mean, it's so underrated and undereducated on the impact of a black community on medicine, on education, on business building. I mean, it goes on and on. But like, Christy, when you talked about women in pain, I had never heard the history of that until this black man explained it to me. I mean, I never understood what redlining was. I mean, and I know this seems like I'm embarrassed to even admit it, but I'm on this panel because I want to admit that there's an awful lot of white people that are not educated. They don't get it in school. They don't get it in grade school, high school, or college. And so what we really need is for Black people to like bring white people together and say, I'm going to explain this to you because you need to know it and we cannot be afraid of these topics anymore because until we're educated and we really acknowledge the depth of the different types of pain and just ignorance on a lot of white people's part for years and years and years until someone really explains it to us. And I know it should be really obvious, but honestly, I didn't know what redlining was. I didn't know about Black women at a higher pain threshold. It was appalling to me when I was explaining these things. But these little town hall meetings that we've been doing every single month since a police brutality, since really June, everybody's walking away and they're posting about it. They're talking about it. We're, we're starting to be a voice for the Black community that I've never seen happen in our country before. I'm hopeful that if we continue the dialogue and become better listeners, we can own the areas that we've definitely failed and make changes. I know personally for me, the roadblock. I know that I face roadblock. Many of them I probably have not been aware of because there was no proof. But I know, for instance, I wear my hair natural. There's rampant discrimination against Black women or women who wear their hair natural or in lots, more in furls or in braids. There's the Crown Act, which make illegal to discriminate against Black women because of their hair. So I go into spaces and I I go in with confidence. And so if I've never received a job because of my hair, I honestly, I really don't know, but I know the bias exists. And so I think that's like one thing that I do is just, you know, I advocate for different policies to make it, to make it better for people, even if I may not be aware of what's like inflicting 
a pain against me. And another thing, Peggy, I know you mentioned about the conversation of having that um, that Black male leader leading conversations and educating people in the workforce. And I think that's really important. I actually just took part in a, a, a class, an anti-racism class at Georgetown University. The class is called Well. And they talk about choice points. And so it's all about having like those courageous conversations and like the choice points to engage in race-based conversations with courage. And that's something that I know that I do even as simple as as food and cuisine. I remember a coworker one time was surprised that I didn't like boudin. And he told me that I just, you know, I, I don't know anything about boudin. I should like boudin. And I'm, so I, I use that point to talk to him about the Great Migration and how Black Americans moved from Louisiana, moved from Mississippi, moved from the rural South for job opportunities and how my grandparents came from Louisiana and Mississippi. And that's why I do know about Boudin and I just simply don't like Boudin, you know? (laughs) So it's just like, you know, the choice points to engage with something on an educational level with something so minuscule like food through something more more significant to society like Black Lives Matter and why it doesn't matter and why it shouldn't be controversial to say that. That's like, you know, that's how I move past those roadblocks. And that's why they do bother me. But I just I just continue to push through. Absolutely. And I'm hearing just the importance in this conversation about education, about dialogue, about continued conversation of learning, but also the unlearning process that has to happen because we've all been socialized into this system that is very oppressive in many ways, shapes and forms. So creating those spaces for people to come together and to have dialogue and to be educated, to be able to acknowledge, right? And also to have to be able to name and to have the language to be able to describe it. Because once we have that, then we can move to understanding and reckoning and action. All right, so I wanna take a little break in this conversation. One, this is such a heavy topic. So I want you to pause, I want you to get up, I want you to play your favorite song, and I want you to have a little mini dance party. Pause right now and go freaking dance. All right, welcome back. How did that feel? Hopefully you feel nice and refreshed to go into the rest of this conversation because it just gets more and more powerful, guys. But before we do that, I want to tell you really quick about the She membership. It is back, y'all, but it is only back for two weeks. And I know those of you who've been listening to the podcast for quite a while know this, but I want to just take it back really quick to my story almost two years ago. I was still in my corporate job. I was absolutely miserable. I had no idea what the rest of my life looked like, but I knew that there was more for my life. I just didn't know where to start. And there's a super special type of magic that I hope that you guys are feeling even in this conversation that you're listening to that happens when women come together, support one another and walk this journey to she together. We know because it is happening right here, right now in this community. I can't even begin to tell you the transformations and the friendships that I've seen happen right in front of my eyes over the last year of building relationships with the women in this community. So if you're ready to start living your life with more purpose, passion, and excitement, you're ready to tap into the resources necessary to make moves towards your goals and dreams. And if you are ready to feel connected, inspired, encouraged, equipped, and more than anything, confident in this life you're building. The She Membership is for you. 
I was never the girl who had one group of girlfriends or even one BFF. I was always craving deeper, more meaningful relationships. And the women of this community have become my rock. And I want you to experience that magic of unwavering support that has seriously changed everything for me. So go check out the deets at thesheefactor.com backslash membership. There have been slight changes in pricing and in the offer. So make sure you check that out and come join the squad of incredible women. Let's be friends, girl. Come meet your new BFFs. They are freaking incredible and you are going to fall in love with them like I have. So you only have two weeks. It closes for enrollment on March 11th and it won't be open for several months. So you want to do this now before it's too late. Now let's get back to the panel and I hope to see you inside the membership next month. And so in light of the continued struggle for justice and the state of this nation as we gear for a presidential election, how do you sustain yourself in the work? What does it look like for you to couple both action with wellness? How do you care for yourself? I take naps. (laughs) I take naps. And and honestly, it's more, it's deeper than just naps for me. I am stumbled upon an amazing community called the Nap Ministry. It was founded by um, Trisha Hersey. I think that's how you say her last name. And it is phenomenal. And for Black women, particularly realizing that resting is your birthright and not being a work mule and learning how to be selfish with caring for yourself because you're, you're raised in a society where you're consistently caring about others. So for me, it's all about napping and just taking time to disconnect me dismantling my own relationship with productivity because I used to have a very, very, very unhealthy relationship with productivity. And that has led to me burning out. And I'm like, you know, I turned 30 next week. (laughs) I should not have had as many experiences with feeling like I'm burning out and I'm on the verge of breaking down because of my relationship with productivity. It's not worth it. So I rest. (laughs) Krista, you and I are totally on the same page. (laughs) I was going to say sleep. (laughs) And actually, I mean, that's what a sutra is all about. This idea that self-care isn't selfish. It's important. And I think especially now, like that's such a message that we really want to get out to all women. You named it, right? We are all trained to take care of everybody else except ourselves. And yet if we're going to be our best and actually care for the people that we love and the communities that we love, we actually do have to rest and it's okay. And we have to take care of ourselves and we don't have to look at it as an indulgence, but rather something that's very necessary. So for me, getting a lot of sleep, but I think also being able to do the work every day at a sutra sharing that message and making it okay with our community has been really restorative for me, actually. And having that conversation with our employees too. I mean, Krista, what you just said really resonated for me. Our operations manager is a Black woman and she had that reflection, you know, that she feels like she just has to work all the time to be worthy. And I had to say to her, like, no, (laughs) you're worthy just because you're you. I mean, you're a human and I love you and I think the world of you. And actually what I'd love to do is figure out how you could work less (laughs) because that means we're figuring out more efficient ways to get the work done. So supporting that in other people has been something that has actually given me a sense of self-care and wellness too. 
naps. No, I think for me, there's definitely the sleep element. However, I am also a recovering workaholic. I'm not really doing a good job of recovering. I'm like living my best life doing it. Let's be honest. I love what I do. However, one big part of it is like, I understand that I do need to have that balance. However, I find that there's definitely some times where I'll have difficulty with taking that break and not having to be productive at all the, all the time. And so for me, what it's kind of looked like is delving deeper into my meditation practice, really taking the time to actually do a lot of journaling. So using my clarity journal, switching back to that from my gratitude journal, which is all guided, but like just taking the time to say like, okay, well, this is where I am. This is what I'm creating. This is what, what I want for the day, like setting my intentions. How do I want to feel? And I think most importantly, it's all about paying attention to how you feel, because if you are not in alignment, if you do not feel good with doing the things that you're doing, if it feels like struggle, if it feels like, I just need to almost do this one last thing and then maybe I'll eat. Like that's just, that's not making it anymore, right? Like the first thing and the most important thing is you. And of course, I mean, like it's an analogy that's used way too much, but the whole empty cup thing, it's just all like, even if you fill that cup with vodka, I mean, it's, it's just doesn't work, right? <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta make sure that you are giving all of you and really justifying that in, in simple ways of being like, well, how am I going to be the most productive? How can I really support the people that I really want to support? How can I give my best if I'm tired? And you're not able to, you're not going to be able to be as creative as you need to be, or as that you would want to be. You're not going to be able to be as insightful and you're not going to be able to support the people in the way that they deserve. And therefore you're taking from other people. So if you need to justify it in that way, that's sometimes how I have to guilt myself into making sure that I take care of myself. However, I think the most important thing is deciding that you are going to break this cycle and you are going to be the one to show, you know, other people like this is the new paradigm for business. It's not about the It's about working in alignment. It's about allowing yourself to give from the overflow instead of the dregs of that cup. I wish I had some advice for everybody on this topic, but I'm learning from all three of you that were shared your experience that I need to be better because in all honesty, I've gone through a season of grieving a marriage, grieving a mother, grieving a best friend, raising five kids, homeschooling COVID, and I'm in a bad state of not taking care of myself right now. And it really, as you said, it really does impact the creativity and the ability to be present for other people. And so thank you for tonight. I'm going I'm to take this as another reset and try to just build in some small ways to take care of myself because it, it just, it really becomes so heavy. Right. And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just being honest with everybody. Mm, yes. Thank you so much for the honesty and in, and the vulnerability in that. Right. And so as we talk about care, as we talk about wellness, just wanting to send my love and my affirmation to all of you as we navigate this uncertain time and the many the many things right that we are that we are carrying and that we are holding with us and i'm reminded of someone that i admire very deeply her name is jessica brown she's the founder of an organization called nia noir and she told me that if there is no you there is no business right like we have to take care of ourselves or the rest of the work doesn't exist right especially as many of us are carrying and holding so much so everything that you all have shared i've also written down for myself as a as a reminder of, in my calendar to schedule out that very important time. And so what is your call to action to folks? If you could share with folks in one sentence, what do you want them to do as a result of hearing this conversation? What do you want them to do to ensure that their workplace is more equitable? I would probably say to lean in and to not take things personally. I feel like 
a space that I know a lot of women spend way too much time in and just everybody in general is a lot of guilt and guilt does nothing. Guilt is a waste of energy. What it is, is stopping you from taking that next step. And it's okay if you didn't know, it's okay if you weren't sure if you like what to do. And now you are equipping yourself with the equipment so that you know what to do. That When these happen, that you were able to step in and support a person in a way that you would want to. And I think this whole not putting in attachments on it, not taking it personal is going to be the easiest way to move through it because you're not making it about you. You're not centering yourself. You're really just making it about the work. It's kind of like how the Germans treated the Holocaust after everything happened, right? Like we are very clear, this is something that happened that we do not want to have happen again. We acknowledge it, we understand it, and we apologize. And these are the things that we're going to do moving forward. It's that same like level of, we understand this is the next steps that we're going to do moving forward. That's all that anybody is really up for you. And then for my people that are, you know, identifying as minorities, people of color, you know, anybody on the, the fringe, the fringe benefits, the fringe benefits, all these glorious people really being willing to find these places with people that care about you, that you feel safe having these conversations. Not everyone has the ability to hold some of the emotional trauma that you may have been witness to, that you may still be processing and going through. And therefore, you're not going to get the result that you really want. So making sure that you take care of yourself, whether it is going to therapy, whether it is taking more naps, whether it is personal development, you know, meditation, journaling, like it's okay for you to take care of yourself. And people are relying on you to do that as well. For our co-conspirators, I will say (laughs) move past being ready to listen and move into courageous conversations and courageous action. Being anti-racist, being on a journey of anti-racism, it is scary. And you need to be okay with making mistakes, but picking up the pieces and, and, and moving and just continuing on the journey anyway knowing that you will make mistakes, but there are people out there who are willing to support you. There are resources that you can access, many of them for free, (laughs) to help educate yourself so that you won't make that same mistake again. And then for BIPOC people, so Black, Indigenous, and people of color, as Cheryl was saying, making sure that you connect and that you refuel. So reconnect to your community. I know that's something that I think we do very well, actually. But to just to really reconnect and really be about community and be about self and to organize and mobilize and to really focus also on how can we form alliances again. I actually listened to Code Switch podcast the other day about how the term people of color came to be and how it really came to be was about those cross-cultural alliances between the different races and ethnic groups. How we use it today, which is why a lot of people don't really care for the term, is to pretty much as a stand-in for Black because unfortunately, a lot of people have fear of saying Black and there's nothing wrong with saying Black. So for us, just thinking about like, what does it mean to have these coalitions moving forward in the future so that we could once again find that that strength that strength in numbers and that strength in community and that strength in message so that we can still advocate for the change that we need in our communities today. 
And I just want to echo what uh, Chris has said, which is the continuing to foster spaces for courageous conversations. Again, for me, it always goes beyond just the boardroom or just beyond just our leadership team, but into my community, in front of my children, with my children at the table, so that I can continue to impact and another generation of people for positive change. I would also echo a lot of what's been said, but more specifically, you know, to the co-conspirators out there, take it, take responsibility for educating yourself. I think we've talked a lot about education, about listening to Black men and women and their experiences. And I would say also don't always make your Black friends teach you about their experience. It's exhausting to be Black in America. So don't also make them talk to you about that and the pain all the time because reliving and talking about that all the time is just, it just can be exhausting. So there are a lot of resources, especially now out there and take the time, make the time to read those and understand the systems and structures that have intentionally been designed in this country, in the U.S., to discriminate against Black people and keep opportunity away from them. If there are any Asian Americans out there, (laughs) also, like, do the research to understand how, as Krista was saying, like, what is the origin of the term people of color? You know, back in the day, during the civil rights movement, a lot of Black people fought for Asian immigrants to come here safely after the Vietnam War. And that's a coalition that I think we need to re-energize and make stronger today, where we as Asian Americans can fight for Black people to have more power in this country. And the final thing I'll say is also, you know, if you are Asian American, take it upon yourself to learn more about the model minority myth and how that has been perpetrated to create division. And if we know those roots, I think we can better understand why things are the way they are today and how we can actually all work together to create power together and create the type of culture and society I think we all really want. Mm, so powerful. And, and Stephanie, you brought up something so important in the resources that exists, which is actually a really great segue into my next question. And so I would invite you all, what resources would you point folks to for continued learning? If there are women watching this panel conversation that are maybe at the beginning of their journey of trying to understand and trying to learn, what resources would you point them to to start? I don't have one particular one, but I do think the discipline of something that I do, which is a morning podcast. And I have a variety of different types of podcasts that I do. But when I do my morning walk or my morning run, I have found that continuing to take in different different podcasts each day with different perspectives has been very helpful for me. And you can almost Google a podcast on anything. So to piggyback, because my resource is actually a podcast, Peggy. (laughs) There's an amazing podcast created by one of my good friends, Zachary Nunn. And his podcast, him and his co-founders, they founded the podcast media company, Living Corporate. And Living Corporate is all about amplifying people of color, their voices and experiences in the workplace. And what's so powerful about their platform is that it's such a diverse perspective. Like you have your co-conspirators, you have executive leaders of big Fortune 100, even consulting firms coming on. You have diversity, equity, inclusion leaders. You have everyday normal people in the workforce on this podcast, sharing stories, sharing resources, sharing actionable insight. If you go to their website, all of their podcasts are um, transcribed. 
So you can actually search. It's a really powerful database that you can actually search on almost any topic, whether or not you are a person of color or if you're a white person, there's a resource on that website that you could tap into to move forward. For the readers out there, I'll recommend a couple books. One is Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, which I think is just a really good explanation of the systems and structures that exist in our country. And then if there are any history buffs out there, this one is a little bit more intense, but uh, I am currently reading a 600-page history tome on Reconstruction. Uh, It's by a Columbia professor named Eric Foner, F-O-N-E-R, and it's just an incredible overview of how a lot of things started in this country that I think is also really important to understand for today. I'm Googling as we speak. I love that. So (laughs) I'm going to have to listen to it on an audiobook. I think that'd be amazing. I, for myself, uh, again, understanding that everybody learns a a little bit differently. Take a look at that anti-racism and unlearning library that I have. Again, podcast books, movies, places that you can take classes, all these different things to really support you in your unlearning journey. And I also think that you're going to want to do something that's active, you know, continually do something on a basis, whether it is something that may feel a little bit more passive, like setting up a donation, they can actually be something more proactive where you're actually going out and volunteering or you're, you know, lobbying or having these conversations. Now, also understanding that this isn't just an American problem or a North American problem. It really comes down to anywhere that's been touched by colonialism, where these systems have been put in place to really support one set of people and kind of not really take care of anybody else, really pillage and pull the resources from all these different places for the benefit of this very small group of people. So even when it comes down to saying like, oh, the US is bad or, oh, this is a problem in the US, it's not. It's anywhere. Even in Canada, it's just ever so slightly more polite. So making sure that we are taking the time to take a look at that. And then in addition, for anybody that does identify as a person of color, taking a look at our own thought processes. I know that there's definitely things that have been ingrained within me just in growing up, different stereotypes of different cultures of different people. And then now I'm hearing myself when that thought process is coming up and saying, you know what? No, that's not true. Or I don't want, I reject that. Like, I don't want that. I don't want to hear that anymore. And Everybody is going through this process of unlearning. Everybody is going through this process of really changing the way that they see themselves and see each other, making sure that we're all having like patience with each other is super important. Wow. Thank you all so much. Thank you for your generous sharing of resources, for your sharing of your stories, your reflections, your expertise, and your experiences. And so in sum, you all have shared so many, so many, I feel like I have so many highlights here that I've, I've typed up. But in sum, you've talked about the importance of education to take action. So leaning into resources that exist, but also engaging in a practice of wholehearted listening, being self-aware, being self-reflective is a crucial tool. And also being an upstander to stop people in the tracks of racism and moving from just having conversations and just having that knowledge, but actually moving into action. Reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by activist Rachel Cargill. She says, in order to fully show up, we have to show up with knowledge plus radical empathy plus radical action. 
And so we have to grow past just not being racist, but rather engage in this lifelong journey of self-healing, of self-exploration, and of understanding the history, the structures, and the systems that create and continue to perpetuate oppressive forces. Also, that accountability is critical in taking responsibility as workplaces and organizations, but also as individuals. As individuals, we must lean into discomfort. We're all learning. Guilt stops us and it shouldn't. You have to continue. So moving into courageous conversations and courageous action. But in that, we also have to take care of ourselves to continue to do the work because the work has to be done in the workplace, at home, in our communities, with our friends and family. We have to work in alignment. So giving from the overflow instead of the bottom of the cup. And that we have to build coalitions. There's so much strength in community to build a strength and message and action. And last, but certainly not least, that we must transform, that we have the power to transform this world that we all live in together. So thank you so much to the panelists for sharing your brilliance and your knowledge with us. And thank you so much to the She Cares team for bringing us all together in this virtual space for this critical conversation. Let us continue the good fight. Hey girl, thank you so much for listening to the She Factor podcast. Everything we do here at She Factor is for you to unite, excite, and cheer each other on as we create a life we love together. We'd love for you to rate, review, and share the podcast if this helped you in any way on your journey to sheep. And you can DM or email us a screenshot of your review for a special treat from Team Sheep. Looking for more than your weekly dose of Sheep Factor? Find us on social media at The Sheep Factor or head to our website, thesheepfactor.com to keep up with all the latest trends on our blog, subscribe to our daily She newsletter, RSVP to our next virtual event, and join our She membership for an all-access pass to your virtual girl gang. Follow me at Tori Ganahl for a behind-the-scenes look at all things She and slide into my DMs to share how I can support you on your journey. See you next week.